Good evening. What a wonderful evening. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. If you would be, open your Bibles to Luke, the fifth chapter. Uh, We'll have on the screen uh, the text for some of the main points that we'll be making tonight. There'll be a lot of sub-points that are not on the screen, and so if you want to take your Bible and turn along with those, uh, we'll look forward to a time of studying God's Word together. We've just sung about ancient words, the most beautiful ancient words ever written. And the men's breakfast will be September the 10th. Tim Martin will be speaking and the theme will be on the Word of God. And so we want to remind the men that they're invited to that. Mark your calendar. It'll begin at 8 o'clock on that September the 10th morning and we look forward to that. Uh, Enjoying a good breakfast together, enjoying fellowship together and enjoying a challenging lesson. We appreciate Tim uh, very much. He's one of our great Bible class teachers that challenges us deeply anytime that he teaches presents a message of God's Word, and we look forward uh, to hearing from Him, and more importantly, from God's Word. It's good to be back with you, brethren. It's been a long 11 weeks, and hopefully things are smoothing out schedule-wise, and hopefully good has been done, and many of us have been together on campaigns and various trips, but it's definitely good that the summer is somewhat in that sense of scheduling is coming to an end. I think about the story that I read some time ago, and I know you've seen it, and I'm not going to give you the long, in-depth version, but it definitely, if if it did, it'd have more humor to it, but but I want to especially just just make a point out of this story. Uh, Many of you have probably read it. It's called The Dillard's Bag. And it was about two ladies there while shopping at the mall. And, and as they were headed back to drop some things off in their car and then go into a little Libby's restaurant and eat, uh, they're connected to the mall. They saw that a cat had been run over in the parking lot of the mall. And they just felt like it wasn't right just to leave it there. And they didn't know what to do. And so they had an extra Dillard's bag. They shifted some of their things over and, and they scooped the cat into the bag. And, and then as they were leaving their items in the trunk, they thought, well, we can't leave a, a cat in the trunk. That, that would be a, a terrible odor. So they said, well, we'll lay it on the back of our trunk, on the outside, on top of the trunk, and we'll go in to eat, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do with it before we're leaving. And so when they're sitting there eating, they just happen to be looking out at their car, and they see this lady come by with her purse, and she stops and looks at that bag, and, and she looks around, and no one is, is watching her, and so she kind of passes back by like and gets real close to the car, and she just scoops the bag off. And, and now she's got her purse in the bag and, and of all places she walks in the restaurant where these ladies are and so she sits down and, and the waitress comes over to get her order and as she's sitting there she has the bag in her lap and, and uh, just at the time where she thinks you know there's no waitress around there's nobody around she's going to take a peek to see what is in the bag now come back we're going to come back and make a serious point in a minute on that but think about that you think she had high hopes well, she, she peeks in the bag and she goes into cardiac arrest. It scares her to death. She passes out on the floor and, and the waitress comes running over and they call the paramedics. And, and so these two ladies, they really don't know what to do. They, they don't know how to help the lady. They're not paramedics. So all they can do is just be the bystanders. They're literally the only ones in all the restaurant that knows what's happening. And so the ambulance comes and, and they load the lady on the gurney there. And, and the last thing they saw of her were those nice paramedics. They took the lady's purse and the Dillard's bag and laid it on her stomach and loaded her in the ambulance. Now, I want you to think this evening about the word hope. 
Not just the word, the whole concept of hope. Even though that woman was going to do something dishonest, she did that under the pretense that she had hope that there was something valuable in that bag. And you know, a lot of the time we think about hope as it relates to what's taught in the Scriptures, and we think about it almost as that whimsical, maybe it's going to be like striking the lottery, maybe it's going to be something really lucky. And friends, you realize that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Friends, our hope is not whimsical. Our hope is not, maybe I'm going to be lucky. Our hope is built upon the evidence that God has given us. It is as sure as the fact of what we're doing in the fact if we said, are we here in this room? Absolutely, we're in this room. How certain are we that God keeps His promises? Hope is that great expectation. Is there anybody that probably outside of the spiritual application, is there anybody that has more hope than probably fishermen? They get up early in the morning and they go out and they hit the waters because they have high hopes. They have hopes it's going to be a big catch that day or maybe it's going to be the big one that day. They stay up late at night fishing because of those hopes. They go trip after trip, warm weather, cold weather, day or night, sunshine or rain. But again, that's not the illustration to properly illustrate the hope that we have with God. With God, it's not a hit or miss. With God, our hope can be certain. But isn't it interesting that one who chose to write his entire first epistle under the theme of hope was a fisherman. He probably knew something about that hope that wasn't quite so certain of whether or not it was going to be a great catch to learn about the hope that was certain every time. What is it that Peter learned? When Luke, the fifth chapter, we get a glimpse of this testing and trying that he did with the Lord, where the Lord proved to him over and over that the Lord was worthy of our faith and worthy to build a substance upon the hope that God has to give us. You remember the scene here, is that Jesus was teaching, the crowd grew so large that he turns to Peter who has just come in from fishing all night long and was cleaning the nets and asked, will you take me out into your boat and see who's going to use the water as a natural application so that, that he could speak to the crowd. And when he finishes speaking to the crowd, this is where we pick up and read just a few verses. Look at verse 4, Luke 5 and verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, this is Jesus, when Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, that's to Peter, launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And then it's almost as if he remembers who he's talking to. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. You see, the scene here is a man who'd been out fishing all night, so we know what? He liked to night fish. And then we know he came back, not because he was catching so much, he came back because he wasn't catching anything. And now here Jesus is saying, I want you to go fishing in the daytime, and not just any daytime, I want you to go fishing right now. You can imagine what a fisherman would be thinking. 
Listen, I don't even like to fish in the daytime today. I wanted to fish last night, and I definitely don't want to fish today because right now is not the time to be catching fish. Oh, but I remember who I'm talking to. Yes, Lord, at your word. Pause there just a moment. We don't know if Peter is obeying because we believe he thinks he's going to catch a lot of fish or simply if he's obeying because he loves and respects the Lord and will submit to whatever he asks. Probably Peter was surprised at what was delivered to him there. But here's what I want you to see is in just a moment we're going to go over to 1 Peter. I want you to see that he filled his nets up. Here's a guy that came back from fishing and he wasn't very hopeful of catching anything and even said, the only reason I'm going to go back is because you've said to, Lord. And what happens when he depended upon the Lord? He has a boatload of hope. I'm promises that you have made. I will sustain my life with those promises. So now this great man of hope writes a short epistle that almost any be turning, if you will, to First Peter, that any commentary or any scholar that you read will say that the theme of First Peter is hope. Four times in this short epistle of three chapters, four times, or five chapters, four times he says. Uh, the word hope. And he really teaches us a beautiful lesson about hope. First, he teaches us about a lively hope. In other words, it's not a dead hope. It's a hope that is very much alive, but it was not always alive. Let's read First Peter, the first chapter in verse 3. He says, he's given the greetings in verse one, or two, 1 and 2. And notice what he says in 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, do you notice that it says He's begotten us again? And then He says to a living hope. In other words, there was a time where Peter's hope was alive, and then there was a, a time that his hope died. And then there was a time that his hope became alive again, and he says it was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Let's, let's see a little bit about what made this hope die, and let's see what made this hope come to life. And let's make sure that all of us here tonight, that we believe in the living hope uh, that, that Jesus offers us. Do you remember him there's at least three different times that Jesus stated very clearly to the apostles, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things, I'm going to die, and I will be resurrected on the third day. Here in Matthew, the 16th chapter, is one of those times where he was trying to get them ready. Now, as we look at this, go ahead and put in your mind 
how whenever Jesus died, it seemed to shake the world. It shook their faith. And you want to almost say, wait a minute, don't you remember these times? He was trying to prepare you. In other words, can you believe the word of Jesus so that your faith and your hope will not be shaken? Listen, I'm not suggesting that we are superior to the apostles, but I am suggesting to you that it doesn't matter if it's an apostle or if it's you or you and I. We will live righteous lives when we build our lives upon the word of Jesus. In other words, Jesus had said things this simple. Look in the 16th chapter and 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and from the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Now, is Peter going to take this and say, wow, I need to file that away. I need to listen to the word of Jesus. And when that time comes, I don't need my faith to be shaken. I need to just say, on the third day, I'm going to see him again. He didn't. Instead, what did he do? Then Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, rebuking Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you have not, are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. It would be very hard for Peter even to hear Jesus say, You're in my way. Peter's used to being a leader. Peter's used to being a good friend to Jesus. And Jesus is a good friend to him. Imagine a good friend like Jesus saying to you, get out of the way. As a matter of fact, just get completely behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You know, it looks like if Jesus spoke that straightforward to you that you would file that away and say, I guess he really is going to go to Jerusalem. I guess he really is going to die. Wow, and the third day he's going to be raised. But instead, what do we find? When when things started looking like you're in Jerusalem, you're being persecuted, what did Peter do instead? He denied the Lord three times. He went out and wept bitterly. And he acted like he was shocked on the third day that Jesus would be resurrected. What happened during those times of denial? Well, when we take it from the the mouth of Peter himself, as he writes 1 Peter, he's saying, I lost hope. There was a time my hope was alive, and then my hope became dead. But then, finally, my hope was resurrected. How and when? By seeing the resurrected Jesus. You remember the guys on the road to Emmaus? You remember how they had waited until the third day. But when they did not see Jesus, the very beginning of the third day, they left. We're not going to read this whole story. It's a beautiful story for time's sake. We're not. But I want to read to you one verse in Luke, the 24th chapter. Notice what they said when Jesus came along and was questioning them about why they were sad and etc. They're explaining this. And notice where they say, but we were hoping. What are we studying tonight? Hope. And now they're on their way. They're leaving Jerusalem. Jesus is back in Jerusalem They're leaving thinking he's still dead. And it says, but we were hoping 
that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since this thing happened. They were resting their hope upon the fact that Jesus would be resurrected. And when that first part of the third day sprung and they couldn't find the resurrected Lord, they lost hope very quickly. What is it that the Lord has said to you and I clearly? That we ignore it. And sometimes we even act shocked when it happens. Have you read the passages where the Lord says that those who are His, the world's going to hate them? Do you act surprised when the world hates you? When He says that His disciples, that's you and I, will suffer, do you start losing hope when you suffer for righteousness' sake? How many times have we seen individuals start losing faith? They say, I didn't do anything wrong. And and they still said that about me. That's right. It's called suffering for righteousness' sake. It's not a time to lose faith. It's the time to say, you know what? God made that promise that that would happen. And it came true. Do you have a living hope? Do you believe in the words and the promises of God that they are alive? Brethren, I assure you they are. More importantly, the Lord assures us that they are. But that's not the only hope that he wrote about. Let's go back again to 1 Peter. And this time, let's look at 1 Peter, the first chapter, and let's drop down to verse 13. And let's read about a lasting hope. Not only a living hope, but this is a hope that will endure. It is a hope that will last. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind... Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace is offered to us right now, but when Jesus comes again, we're going to see the fulfillment of grace offered to us like we cannot imagine. You remember when John writes about in 1 John 3 and verse 2 and 3, he talks about when Jesus comes that we will be made like Him and we'll see Him as He is. Friends, can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine to see the fullness of that grace where literally our bodies are changed, we're given an an eternal being and we will be in the presence of Jesus and we will be delivered before uh, the Father by Jesus Christ Himself. Friends, there's so many things about that that spectacular. It's awesome. It's beyond our imagination. And so he writes of this and he says, now as you wait on that, I want to tell you where to rest your hope. Think about how beautiful that is. Now I know all of us can relate it to something that we've done in life. For me, I think about when I was a kid and I had to unload a pickup full of of whether it was hog feed or cattle feed, and it being, you hoped, 50-pound bags, but more often it was 100-pound bags. And, 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 you know, you had your secrets of how you did it. You threw it up on your shoulder, and then, you, you know, you caught your hip right there, and, and you braced your shoulder up, and you hope you didn't have to walk far to the barn. But I want you to imagine, you're walking along, and there's only so long you can hold it. When you weigh about a buck, oh five, and you're holding a hundred pound on your shoulder, there's only so. I want to imagine, I want you to imagine somebody pulls up to talk to you. 
They're in a pickup truck. They put the tailgate down. They just sit there and start talking to you. And you're like this. What are you going to say before long? Hey, I, I need to rest this on the back of your truck here. Think about that. I need to rest this. I need a place to put this right now because when I hold it myself, I'm not secure. I wear out. I wear down. What is it that you want more than anything? Do you realize if we're thinking clearly, the things we want more than anything, we can't deliver on our own. We can't carry them on our own. We can't make it on our own. Why? Because we're flawed. We're weak. We make mistakes. But isn't it awesome that we can couple up with God who loves us, who forgives us, who strengthens us, who empowers us. And He says, look, I know you can't make it on your own, but you know what you can do? You can take the hope that you have and you can rest it right here in my grace. Brethren, that's awesome. I will hold your hope for you. And you can rest assured God is big enough to hold it. He's big enough to deliver it. And He can hang on to it for an eternity for us. But sometimes we lose our focus. And we rest our hope on an addiction. We rest our hope on some kind of pleasure thinking that if I can just have a little more fun, I can find a fulfillment in life. Or or a little more power. Or a little more, you just fill in the blank. What is it? Friends, there's nothing that can hold our hope. Nothing can rest our hope securely except the grace of God. He is, is a lasting hope. That's why the third time this word is used is to teach the same thing again. Look, if you will, in 21 of this very same chapter, 1 Peter 1 and 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He's resurrected. He's not resurrected and then dead He's resurrected. And that resurrection did what? It gave us a lively hope. And how long is He alive? Friends, Jesus is still alive. Jesus will be alive forever. It is a lasting hope. It's a lively hope. It's a lasting hope. And does that describe us? Does that describe your spiritual life? That it's lively, that it's lasting, that it's sure. Not because you're such a great person, but because your God is so great and you've submitted yourself to Him. But yet the final study of hope that we want to do from Peter tonight is in 1 Peter the third chapter. Look in 1 Peter the third chapter and we'll see the fourth time that he uses this word here and it is in verse 15. It's a verse that oftentimes is uh, misapplied in the way that it is quoted. Have you ever heard someone say, well you need to be ready to give an answer for everything that people ask of you? It'd be great if you and I could give a biblical answer for everything that people would ask of you, but I've never met a person yet that could answer every biblical question that could be asked. I think we need to have a goal to know as much of God's Word as we can. We ought to love God and His Word and study uh, the Word uh, very faithfully and diligently. But notice what He does expect us to be able to answer here. Look at verse 15. He says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." And always be ready to give a defense to everyone 
who ask you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, Peter is not saying, God expects you to be able to answer every spiritual question. But he does say, if you're a child of God, God expects you to be able to answer why you have hope. It's literally a logical hope. He says, I want you to be able to give a defense. He says, I want you to be able to give a reason. Think about that word, reason. I want you to be able to process this and think through it with someone else. Friends, what if one of your good friends called you tonight and said, I know that we've probably never talked about anything like this before, but it's really been on my mind and I believe you're a Christian, right? Yes. That means you must have some kind of Belief in an afterlife? Yes. You must believe in God? Yes. And you believe you're saved? Yes. Give me reasons why you believe that's true. What is your hope? What is the hope? What is the reason? What is the defense for your hope? You know, in Acts the 26th chapter, and you know, there's so many places we could go for this. So in just this last few minutes as we get ready to wrap this lesson up, I want you to think about Paul standing before Agrippa. And do you remember what really placed Paul in that position? He was under arrest. And it was primarily first Jews wanting Paul to to be ended, if you will, in his ministry because they didn't believe in the Messiah and it offended them in a big, in a mega sort of way that he was reaching out to Gentiles. And so there's several things, but especially, especially what you can see in this chapter and over and over in other places, he kept talking about a resurrection. And see, that's where our hope lies. Friends, if there is no resurrected Lord, there is no hope for us. And yet he kept speaking of a resurrection that stirred the people over and over. And so let's see here. He's standing before them and look at 6, 7, and 8 of Acts, the 26th chapter. And he's telling why he's been arrested and why he's standing here. Imagine, imagine Agrippa saying, okay, I'm going to listen to you. Why are you even here? Tell me. Give me a defense of why you're here. He's literally, he's being logical. He's giving reasons. And notice what he says here. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Paul, why are you under arrest? And he says, because of the hope. Paul, put it in other words. Okay, I'll tell you. It's the hope that we have that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead and that same power is going to resurrect us from the dead. I have hope in that. And oh, that would fire them up. Read the book of Acts and notice how people, it would curl their hair. They would become, uh, where they would gnash with their teeth and they would persecute and they would put to death when individuals claim that they had that hope in the resurrection. And so now, let's skip over deeper into uh, where he gives his answer and look in verse 23. 
This is toward the end of what he was saying before he got interrupted. And toward the end, he says in 23, that Christ would suffer. That he, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus, which by the way, did you notice that? He's just, he believed in the resurrection. He stated again, what's Festus going to do here? Now, as he, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Now, Paul's there. Paul is reasoning. Paul isn't mad. In other words, Paul is saying, I can give you proof. I can give you evidence. I can be logical. I can think through this. You want evidence for my hope? I'll show you a resurrected Lord. He could go on and on with his logic. And now Festus hears this and he says, you're not giving us logic. You are out of your mind. And so in just a few sentences, he's going to say, oh yeah? What about this reason? Is it crazy? Is it out of your mind? And, and he could go on and on, but notice just this simple point that he makes. Verse 25. So now Paul's going to answer this. Uh, you know, Festus saying, are you mad? He says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak words of truth and reason. I'm telling you the truth, and what I'm saying has logic to it. What you're saying has no proof to it. Okay, so what's he going to say here? For the king before whom I also speak freely knows. See, that ties back to knowledge. I'm going to tell you not only what I know, I'm going to tell you what the king knows. And you see if he's mad. See if he's crazy. What does he know? He knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. What is the thing that wasn't done in the corner? The birth of Jesus Christ wasn't done in the corner. The king knew that Jesus had been born and sought to kill him. The angels announced it. Wise men came from afar. Listen, the world knew that something spectacular had happened. This thing was not done in the corner. The life of Jesus Christ. He was known as one of the greatest preachers even in his day. His words astonished the crowds. His miracles changed people's lives. Everybody knew about this man that, that was the man from Galilee. As a matter of fact, his life and ministry wasn't done in a corner. But get this. The crucifixion and resurrection was definitely not done in a corner. In other words, it wasn't some off the side street and nobody ever knew about it like a back alley. Instead, what happened? He was marched through the streets. The mobs yelled, crucify him, crucify him. When they hung a placard over his head, they had to put it in multiple languages. There were so many that would be knowing about this event. As a matter of fact, they put him at the crossroads just outside of the city. And just to make sure that everyone would know, the Almighty God performed four miracles. The earth shook so hard that rocks broke. The tomb was opened and some were resurrected. It became dark from midday to three in the afternoon, and the veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. Why? Because God was going to make sure that everyone knew this thing did not happen in the corner. And three days later, when Jesus was resurrected, there were many that saw the resurrected Lord. As a matter of fact, we learn in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, that there was one occasion where Jesus addressed over 500 people in one setting, 
as the resurrected Lord. There were multiple times that Jesus presented himself after the resurrection for those 40 days that he was alive. What's the point? Paul says, listen, I haven't been giving my life and I'm not enduring this persecution because I just have a whimsical thought that maybe there's a God. He said, if you want reason, I can stand here and I can give you truth and reason. And not only me, but Festus, if you'll stop accusing me of being mad and turn and ask your king, he knows everything that I've just said. And you remember what his answer was? Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Why? He knew the logic was correct. He just wasn't ready to submit his life to it. Friends, our hope, it's not built on some lack of evidence. Our hope is built on everything that is sure and certain beyond this earth. Tonight, what I need to make sure is that I don't find myself like a gripper. Where the evidence is there, what's lacking is my willingness to submit to it. A lively hope, a lasting hope, a logical hope. And that's coming from the man that knew what it was to deny the Lord and lose hope and go out and weep bitterly. And so he writes this epistle to say, Let me tell you what my life has been like now that hope has been restored. Tonight, do you have that kind of lively and living and logical hope? I hope you do. And if you don't, I hope you will find the hope, the fulfillment of God's promises convicting. And won't you tonight submit your will? There's not anybody here perfect, but we can all leave here forgiven. By the grace of God, we can all leave here placing our life in the hope of God. If you're ready to become a Christian, if you're ready to come back to the Lord, if there's anything that we can do to assist you tonight, come as we stand and as we sing. Yeah. Uh-huh.
It's been a great day. And David, thank you so much for a great lesson um, to leave us with, with hope. Uh, just a great message. Um, tonight, uh, we do, I do want to remind everybody, we do have directories available uh, in the room behind the library, uh, as well as the fact that immediately following the closing prayer, and teens, everybody, um, immediately following the closing prayer, let's make our way to the Fellowship Hall where we'll have our big uh, regroup youth group meeting.